Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the show that tackles the subject of women and violence head on and shines the light of what women need to know and do to be safe. Here's your host, fourth degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Gillicourt. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolicoeur, and today I am absolutely delighted to welcome back to the show two of my fellow self-defense coaches who were previously on a roundtable conversation with me, and they've come back to do another one. So I am super excited to bring back Beverly Baker and Lisa Abbott. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. Well, today I have a particular topic in mind, which is kids going off to college. And this is something that is really near and dear to my heart because I have four kids. And to be honest, I didn't think too terribly much about it when my eldest son went off to school. But when my oldest daughter went to college, she went all the way across the country to go to school in Boston. And even though she she got a first degree black belt when she was 10, you know, when she went away to college, she was 18, I think, 18 going on 19. And there was nothing that I could refer her to. There was no training I could take her to that I thought was going to prepare her for the potential dangers that she was going to encounter, you know, living far across the country in a big metropolitan area, going to a big university. So this is something that I really, really got passionate about then because I was really pissed that there was nowhere that she could go. Of course, my solution was for me to become the provider of courses like that. (laughs) But uh, I'm, you know, it's a... I love that solution. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she did actually come back and take classes with me when she was home for the summer and stuff like that. And my younger daughter, of course, has had the benefit of all of that, but... You know, this is, tis the season right now. We're in the middle of summer and there are a lot of kids who are getting ready to leave home. You know, they're either going to live away from home for the very first time, you know, maybe even still in the same town or not too far away from home. Some of them are doing like what my daughter Charlotte did and going completely across the country, far, far away from the reaches of any kind of parental help and into completely new environments. And you know, some are maybe even taking like gap years and not going to school right now, but going to school in a year. And I would love to hear what your thoughts are on things that these youngsters who are you know, late teens for the most part need to be thinking about when they leave home and, and strike out on their own. Well, I have done college, but I didn't do the, you know, the college life. I was already married. However... Working at a high school, in a small high school, and watching the young people getting ready to go to college, that's, that's been very enlightening and, and, and their whole perspective of, you know, the world. The cool thing is more of them are not scared. They're excited. However, they're also not, I guess, informed. And, you know, hey, all kids think they're invincible. Yeah, they, they almost don't really even know what they ought to be concerned about, which is kind of funny given, you know, the onslaught of kind of the, I don't want to call it yellow journalism, but a sensationalist coverage of incidents and things, you know, it could lead you to think that there's danger around every corner and that nowhere is safe. I'm curious, like what, for, for a kid from a small town, you know, like, like you're talking about Lisa, 
What do you think the biggest thing is that they're not aware of or that they're going to have to start paying attention to if they go to school in a, in a bigger city? I think possibly just the whole, I mean, they go from here into a large campus and everything's exciting and there's an energy there. It's the, the, I don't know how to describe it. You know, all the, they're not distractions, but all the sights and sounds and everything just overwhelms all the senses. And so they don't really have a, they lose themselves as far as, you know, as being centered on knowing which, okay, that doesn't feel quite right because it's just such an overwhelming amount of stimulus in this new environment and all these exciting things happen. And, you know, everybody's friendly, so you don't even know that you're being targeted, especially if they come from a family where they, you know, never discussed, you know, bad things or they're just so excited to be out of out of a small town and all this, this great campus doing all this fun stuff and an overwhelming of senses. Yeah, that that that's huge because there's so much noise and excitement that a, a real alarm signal could get easily lost. Yeah, it's because I experienced this when I go to bigger cities. Um, you know, training with the violence dynamics group, and we go out into the mall. It's phenomenal. I mean, the people and the sounds and the different cultures. It's so amazing. But I'm with a group of people that I know when I get sidetracked. Oh wow, check that out. They're going to bring me back and they have my back. I'm safe because we're in a training situation. So I'm in a, with a group is, and having all this overstimulated, amazing stuff happening around me. If they're a young, young person out on their own, meeting their new best friend, their roommate, and you don't know. Yeah, it can be. I think that could be part of the, the danger part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, there's two things that actually popped up in my head as, as you were describing that. You know, one is that we sort of assume safety until there's something that, you know, messes that assumption up. We just assume that we're safe. And that's a legit assumption, but it can also really bite you in the butt. So, you know, if you just decide you don't have to pay attention because obviously nothing would ever happen here, then you can get really surprised and blindsided when something, you know, when somebody turns out not to be the kind of person that you thought they were, or when a situation is something that is actually dangerous and you didn't, you didn't recognize it. And that was the other thing that occurred to me is like, when you go to a new environment like that, you don't know what the norms are. You don't know what the rules are for behavior, what's acceptable and what's not. You don't know if there is territory that you shouldn't actually go into. You don't know, you know, about groups of people that you should be aware of. Because you don't know what the norms are, it's really hard to recognize when something is not normal. And that's one of the big keys to situational awareness is just being able to recognize things that are different from the norm. So, you know, what you're saying about going from that small town to the large city and just being flooded with information, those are the two things that really came up for me. It was just like, you know, assuming assuming safety and then not being able to recognize departures from the norm and not knowing what the rules are. I'm curious, Beverly, what what your thoughts are about kids initially heading out from their home environment into a new environment for school? Yeah. So I I think one of the most exciting things about going off to college is that exposure to new worlds, right? It's like, you know, whether you're going to a new place or, you know, just the mere fact of, you know, if you have a little dorm with a little tiny fridge, like you have to buy your own groceries, (laughs) you know, it's just like everything is new. 
and this exposure to new people. And, you know, and this isn't like, you know, bad people either. These are just people who, you know, have different backgrounds, different religions, you know, places they're coming from, different races, all this stuff, um, different political, you know, thoughts and things like that. And and it's, you know, that's to me is like the ideal. It's like where you kind of get in there and there's that beautiful melding. And ideally, you know, if you're in the classroom, you're, you're, you're being opened up to new ideas and new ways of looking at the world. Of course, that's all very ideal. And, and hopefully that's the experience. But, you know, we also have to remember that we're, <laughs> that the flip side of that is we're meeting new people with different ideals and different ways of looking at the world. And, you know, not to make people who are different than us wrong at all. But we have to also remember that there are people who don't have your best interest at heart and who will, you know, and, and these are some of the dynamics that we will probably talk about here in a minute. But, you know, there's ways that people will play you that, you know, if, if you've been in a sheltered, more sheltered environment, whether it's a small town or, you know, I grew up, my family was very religious. And so it was it was that kind of experience, not so much the small town aspect. So, you know, I just kind of went crazy <laughs> when I got out. I didn't go to college right after. Uh, well, that's a long story, but I, I took some time off in my 20s. Uh, early 20s and, you know, just kind of explored. And, and I'll tell you, like, that age, you know, is a lot of fun. And I will tell you, I did a lot of stupid things. And some things that I did, I'm only here because of luck. And, you know, I did a lot of the things that I shouldn't have done, you know, gone home with this guy or that guy. But hey, I was having fun. And that was just kind of how, how I wanted to live my life. And, you know, I don't regret any of that. I would make those same choices over again. But I would say, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> and so, you know, that's, that's kind of like why I want to help young women get smarter. So as they make their choices, as they're going out into the world like this, it's like, okay, here's how a bad guy operates. You know, if you look at um, Gavin DeBecker talks about the interview in his book, and it's like, these are the things he'll do to see how far he can get like psychologically and test your boundaries. And, you know, so you know, equipping, you know, young women and men, for sure, with those tools, so that they are not going into the world fearful, but eyes wide open with tools. Yeah, that's great. What I'm thinking about as I'm listening to you is, I think a lot of us growing up, maybe if we were kind of aware of some sort of danger out in the world for young women, the only thing we really focused on was sexual assault. We didn't really think too much about yeah. other kinds of things. And, and that has tended to be the focus of a lot of the training. And I do want to dig into the realm of sexual assault, but I'm, I'm curious, like what other sorts of threats you think are important for these young people to be aware of as they go out into the world? Yeah, yeah, good question. So, um, you know, in terms of if you're working with someone on a project and, you know, you're doing a group project. And there's always that one person who is slacking. Like, that is such a cliche. We all know that one, right? You know, it's like, how do, how do you deal with that? How do you, like, recognize that? How do you recognize the person who's manipulative? To give a little plug to a project the three of us and, and a few of our other friends have been working on is a video series that we've got out. One, one thing that was really interesting was it talks about how there are people who just like to instigate. And they just want to cause trouble. And this could be a man or a woman who will stir you up. And then they may give you a push or a shove, that kind of thing, because they want to start a fight. And right about that time is when, like, after the first push or, or, or hit comes, that's when people look. And that's when cameras come out. They, everybody misses the beginning. 
So everybody just looks at the, the end or the, the middle of the story there. And so it's understanding how those kind of dynamics come into play. And the reason I brought that one up as an example is because I remember talking to Kelly, one of our colleagues, and she's like, oh, yeah, this happens all the time with my kids in the playground or, or kids in general. And her boys, I think, are like six and seven, something like that. And it was just like, wow, you know, you see the same principles happening in different, uh, you know, genders and, and age groups, but the dynamic is still the same. And so we don't outgrow that, you know, dynamic just because we're not in the schoolyard anymore. But, you know, it, it, it's something we all recognize that person who's that bully, who's that instigator. And if you know how to either extricate yourself from the system uh, or assist situation or manage it, you're going to be better off and not get it, getting sucked into their game. Yes, bullying is not limited to childhood, unfortunately, nor is it limited to things that happen in college. I mean, I, I hear stories from women who are well past their educational years, their formal educational years that are, you know, many years into their careers, and they're dealing with very similar dynamics on the job. That's the thing. These things never go away. And so it's like, we've got to get smarter. And, and, and not to say you get really good at it, you'll never have to deal with it again. It's like you get good at it, and then you know how to deal with it, should it rear its ugly head. You recognize it sooner. Because if you have never had a situation where you were manipulated, and it happens, and you're, you know, young, and not, not really around a good group of friends that you could bounce ideas off of, and something happens, it's, you, know, you deal with it. Maybe you don't know how to deal with it, so they just stay in that situation. As an example, very first time I got stabbed in the back by somebody I thought was a friend, I was 50 years old. It was the most unique feeling I ever went through. But um, I never experienced that before in my life. And when that happened, and I got to sit with that, that experience for a while, I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, it wasn't detrimental. I didn't lose my job, and it wasn't like, so devastating. I crawled under the covers. It was just so unique to be able to literally internally feel what being stabbed in the back by a friend, so to speak, felt like. I was 50. I didn't give a crap, you know, about <laughs> about the whole deal. You know, we're, we're still, you still have to be, you know, friendly and, and congenial because we work together. But if I were to have experienced that as a young, obviously I would have dealt with it completely different. And so if they don't, if they haven't experienced or have it ex described to them on how, you know, how it feels and just to, how to get up and brush themselves off and move on, then the way they may deal with it may not be so positive. Maybe they just keep getting into the same situation or thinking it's them and not, not the manipulator's actions. That's a really good example because... You know, again, you know, as Cynthia was pointing out, it's like not just, you know, sexual assault that, you know, is, is the thing that we have to manage. You know, it's that whole bullying or that mean girl dynamic. You know, how does that play out in the group project or how does that play out, you know, in, in with a roommate, that kind of thing? And, you know, what what can you do to predict and kind of take care of yourself in those situations? Well, what can you do? You know, this is this is a whole realm of when you go into a new environment and the people are new and you're forming relationships with new people, what are the warning signs? What are the danger signs? How do you figure out who you can trust and who maybe you might not want to trust? 
And how do you protect yourself from being taken advantage of or being bullied? One of the first things that that crossed my mind when I was thinking about, well, like, gosh, like, what do you do? Because you want to make friends, you know, you, you don't want to be there all alone. And that I know from my kids going to college, loneliness was a really big thing for them when they first got there. So they were trying to get out to meet people. Their partner in crime most of the time was the roommate. Because as freshmen, you know, you got to live on campus. <laughs> you can't can't be yes. an off-campus kid as a freshman. Right. And so you you are trying to be open. You are trying to make those connections. And I just thought, well, one of my tendencies that I'm really lucky did not come around to bite me in the butt for many, many years was just to be too open too quickly and to share personal information and details about my personal life and my history with people before I really had a lot of experience with them and knowledge about them. I was too quick that to That is trust. really brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Being an open book. Doesn't mean you have to be a closed book, but are you going to tell everybody everything? Because that may come back to haunt you. That's a really great example. I think it really kind of boils down to boundaries. And in our self-defense world, we think of boundaries as, you know, like this hard, no, stop, that kind of thing. But it's, it's like everyday self-defense. It's everyday boundary setting. And People tell you information about themselves in regards to how they respond to your boundary setting. So if, you know, your roommate continuously eats the yogurt out of the fridge or, you know, that kind of thing. And, and just to no avail, that's that's about them. And like, that's something to understand. And that's also that's not a person that you can trust. I mean, that's, that's such a trite example, but it's, it's an example of, you know, if someone is not respecting your boundaries, they're going to be a problem. How do you tell people to set boundaries? Like, what's your advice? What would you tell a college-age kid about how to do that and still be open enough to actually make friends? Because, I mean, a lot of kids, a lot of people don't like meeting boundaries, and so then they just won't talk to you and they won't be friends with you and that kind of thing. So how would you go about setting a boundary if, if you're in a brand-new environment like that and everything is new and kind of unknown? Well, you know, I think for the most part, we, we have a lot of unspoken boundaries and rules that, you know, if, if I put a case of yogurt in the fridge, you know, I would expect my roommate or whoever to ask um, to do it like that. I think that's going to take care of like 99% of that. Now, if, you know, that becomes an issue, like they take the, the what I don't know why I'm fixated on yogurt, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> it's just the thing in the fridge or wherever, uh, your bag of popcorn, um, you know, if, if they're kind of going against kind of like normal niceties. It's totally, you know, hey, you know, just want to let you know, I I bought that and I would appreciate it if you not eat that. Um, Or if you do, if you could like contribute to the yogurt fund or the popcorn fund, that kind of thing, you know, and it can come out being kind of really easy and lighthearted. It doesn't have to be like this harsh boundary setting. I personally, I tend to use humor and, and I find that to be very effective. I'm just kind of a silly person. Um, and I find that to be to be helpful. I find that in setting boundaries, it's it's like laying it down and then you have to maybe repeat it. And then you have to come up with a way to enforce it. So, you know, I don't know what that would be in this situation. You either like get a lock on your fridge or that kind of thing, because if, if you're not willing to enforce the boundary, then it's not really a boundary. And again, these are people who are, are showing themselves to not be nice people. And they'll just kind of keep rolling over that boundary. Like most people are just going to be respectful. So that's why it's important with someone who is who is disrespectful in that way to lay it down, lay it down again. And then you're going to have to take some kind of action, whether it's 
buying a lock for that, or if it's a shared, shared, um, thing, you know, coming up with some other creative solutions, spiking the yogurt. I don't know. I'm not advocating (laughs) that, but (laughs) just thinking creatively. So, but you know, you have to be willing to enforce it. I mean, I think a lot of folks get stuck with, I said not to do this. And then they, if if it's not met, then they kind of get upset. And it's just like, if you can take the emotion and the judgment out of it, and it's like, oh, they're just being seven. And, you know, this is the thing I need to do. Um, but you definitely have to, if you're going to set a boundary, you're going to have to enforce it. Perhaps you, you may have to take it to the next level of enforcement. When you first were talking about um, going, to, going to college, one of the things that you mentioned was people come from all different backgrounds. And I think one way I would approach the yogurt situation would be to get a little curious and say, you know, I don't. I don't know what the rules are like or, you know, like how you guys operate where you come from, but where I come from, things that are put into the refrigerator are not group property. And it may just be a difference. It's like, oh, wow, you know, in in my house, like we all just kind of put stuff in there and we all shared. And I think sometimes getting curious and just learning about what the assumptions and the expectations are is a really good way to head off potential conflict. And, And that's, you know, that's really what we're after, right, is to prevent conflict if we can. Yeah, that's, yeah, different cultures, as you mentioned. Also, um, some kids are, you know, come from a family where they're more responsible and and understand the dynamics that just because the food's in there, because mom bought it and stuck it in there, it's free for all for whoever wants it, as opposed to, you know, some kids, they open the fridge, it's full. It's just like magic. And so they don't really realize that there's boundaries there that, oh, somebody else bought this. It might be somebody else's yogurt or soda or whatever. I, I have to say, Why I remember and moving out on my own and I opened my, I'm like, why is there nothing in the fridge? Like, it was just like, oh, I have to go to the store. It was like, and I have to do this on a regular basis. Like it was always magic as a kid, right? It's just yeah, yeah. It's like the store. <laughs> like that to me was like a huge, not, I was, I don't remember swiping anybody's yogurt or anything, but I just like, even living on my own, I'm like, where did, where's, why is there no food in my fridge? It's like, oh, I have to go get it. <laughs> That was like a big grow up session. What a rude awakening, man. It was totally a rude awakening. (laughs) But I want to say like, we, we, we also talk about, I want to talk about the flip side of boundary setting as well, because there's like, I think a culture where people are very much afraid or can be very afraid to speak up and set boundaries. And I think what can, one thing that contributes to that is like the culture we have around it. So if, if Cynthia, if you set a boundary with me and then if I like, you know, call you a bitch behind your back or, you know, kind of be ugly about it. Well, I'm then contributing to that culture where it's not okay to set a boundary. And so there's some self-reflection to happen here as well. It's like, oh, Cynthia just told me to, you know, the yogurt is hers or the popcorn, whatever. And I just, if I can just like accept that and move on without it becoming like high drama, you know, how can I hear someone's boundary? Am I going to be a part of the problem or am I just going to like, get the message and just like move on with my life. Yeah. And I guess that's where, you know, for kids who go to colleges where they live in dorms, quite often there is a resident assistant or some sort of a dorm counselor advisor that they can go Mm -hmm. to when there are communication issues with roomies. I think my daughter took advantage of that quite a lot in her first year. So let's talk a little bit about how you orient yourself in, you know, new physical spaces, because that's part of going away to college is 
you you have a brand new campus to learn and your classes are never all in the same building, are they? They're all spread out all over the place and you got time constraints to get from one to the other. And what are your thoughts on ways kids can get oriented in the physical space and figure out the safest ways to go and where maybe they shouldn't go at certain times of day and and that kind of thing? For me, I have the heart of an explorer. So that's like my answer to everything and or or to this question uh, in particular. And so if you have your schedule and you've got your classes in different buildings, you know, get out and try try to check out the whole campus. Like if I'm in building ABC, also check out D, E and F. Um, You're probably going to be there maybe next semester anyway. Or, you know, if you're in a particular college uh, within the university, you know, you may just be stuck in that particular area. But I would say, you know, the more that you can make the campus, whatever size it is, like your own, like I own this physically because I know where things are. I, I made a game out of it when I went to UT. It's like, I'm going to find the closest, most convenient bathroom in every building because you never know when that's going to pay <laughs> off. If you've got a, you know, it's like, it's just like make a game out of it. Or it could be, you know, just kind of looking for something in particular, like finding out who has, you know, the best sandwich or the best ice cream or, you know, just kind of like get get to know the physical campus, the layout of it. The more you can do that, the more like psychologically and physically and emotionally, you can just really be at home on the campus. It's really easy if you only have, again, classes in like buildings A, B, C and D and you only go to those, you know, it's you're going to have a smaller world. Also, if you mix up, you know, like, oh, I go to building A every day via this path, you know, let me check something else. Let me go a different way on the way. Now, you know, everybody's rushed for time and, and I totally get that. And it can be a little inconvenient. But as kind of an aside, I remember reading a book. Um, are you guys familiar with Julia Cameron, The Artist's Way? Yes. And that was, oh, she, do you remember she talks about don't take the same path every day to work or school. Like if you mix it up, it's like this great way to just kind of stimulate creativity because you're getting new input. And so those are things, you know, again, not coming from the scary self-defense perspective, but just a way of enjoying the campus and, you know, opening yourself up to to new sights and sounds and experiences is is my answer is to explore, 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 explore. And would you say explore yeah, by it. yourself or with a friend? Uh, it depends. I mean, right now I have a picture in my mind of the University of Texas at Austin where I went. And most of that is like big and open and like, uh, you know, wide lawns and things like that. You know, am I going down like that? I could certainly do by myself. Am I going down into the basement of, you know, this creepy, dusty old building that looks abandoned by myself? Probably not. So it's, you know, using your judgment you know, I could probably catch a lot of flack in the self-defense world, but I, I am a big, like, I'll go out and explore that thing on my own, but I'm keeping my senses of, of awareness up and I refuse to be afraid to explore on my own, but also being smart about it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Lisa? Yeah, um, I love that idea of, you know, using it as play, finding the closest bathroom. I think um, being able to go out and do things on your own, like, like I travel on my own, I've, I've been traveling to go train by myself because there's nobody else around here that it just works for their schedule or wants to do it. But I think there's a lot of character traits or, you know, maybe their personality, if they're too shy to go out and do that kind of stuff and, and they don't, you know, they just want to stick with what 
they are familiar with, you know, that same path every day to that class, this building, that person. I think that the, the play going out and exploring as a part of the playing aspect, but giving them the assignment of today, I'm going to go find all the different bathrooms in this particular building. And then I'll go to that building, you know, next week or whatever. Definitely exploring the campus and, you know, expanding that exploration to eventually get to all of the campus is, that's, that's a huge idea. I and mean, that's, that's a huge concept to be able to, like Beverly said, feel more comfortable and be able to make your way out and, and not freak out if you end up someplace you, you know, you have never been before. Because if you've gone out and explored it, it's like, no, nope, something, something looks familiar here. So I, I'm okay. That taking a different path from the book, artist way that you just described, that's, you know, that's just a really good habit to get into. So people don't learn your, your habits of, oh, every right. day at 9.15, she right. walks this path. And that's, you know, those little nuances that I don't think we even think to tell kids going off to college. And, you know, that's, that's, it's, they don't know why. It's just easier to go this way, which it is. It could be easier. But you get to see new stuff. You meet different people and you um, break up your pattern of, of everyday habits if you take a different way. If you, you know, walk out a different door every time you leave your dorm and different things like that. It's those little safety habits that, that really contribute to helping us out that we're not even aware of because we, specifically those of us that practice it all the time, we don't even think about it, but it's just an introduction to something to give them something to, to realize they can do so easily to help keep themselves safer. Yeah. And to add on to that, what Lisa's saying about the exploration and, and seeing, you know, the physical world you know, it, that helps with your developing your situational awareness. And so if you only know like this one bubble, you're going to stop seeing it in a way, you know, it's like, oh, was that tree always there? You know, it's like you kind everything just kind of blends in. And so by keeping your, you know, eyes up, chin up, looking around as you move around and just really kind of taking the physical space in, um, it helps you develop your situational awareness. It helps you see, you know, what's going on with people. And then there's also this component. This is to me fascinating. I was reading a book called Movement Matters by a woman who researches um, the biomechanics of how our body works. And she was talking about how our, our eyes are actually becoming more and more myopic. There's this thing like hardening in our eyes. And so we are literally becoming more and more short-sighted. So if we're walking around, if you're out there like trying to find the nearest bathroom or the best you know, sandwich or whatever you're looking for, your face isn't going to be on your phone. You're going to be in the, in the physical world. And, you know, that's just like good for your physical body. And it's good for, you know, your, your spatial awareness and just kind of being, being in, in, in space. And, and I get it. You know, I ha totally have a cell phone addiction. <laughs> I totally get it. But, you know, one place to not manifest that is, you know, in, in the outside physical world. Yeah. I love the direction that this conversation has gone because I have practices that I do when I go to new places. And I wasn't really that conscious of them back when Charlotte was heading off to school. So I didn't think to, you know, to tell her about them, but you're reminding me of, of what has become kind of an unconscious competence for me. And that is when you do that exploration and you're, you're learning a new environment, you are learning what the norms are in that environment. So you, you get to yeah. know what the noises are that are normal and who the people are that are normally around and 
You even get to know like what the smells are that are normal. So you're kind of programming yourself as you're doing this exploration to learn about what the norms are. And you're also familiarizing yourself with possible escape routes if you need them. And that's something, you know, working with real estate agents, sometimes I'll ask them, when you go to show a house, do you evaluate the neighborhood? Like, do you drive around the neighborhood or do you just go straight to the house? And like, oh, no, I just drive up. And I was like, okay, well, next time, drive around the neighborhood and take a look, see, like, is there another way out other than the one that you just came in? Because you may need to boogie pretty quickly. And if you haven't scoped it out, you're not going to know. So if you're doing this exploration that you both are talking about, then you're building in the knowledge and the awareness of other pathways and you're creating mental blueprints. You know, you're just like, oh, look, you know, there's there's a way here that goes through all these trees and it actually goes to a gate I didn't even know was there. Or yep. criminy, this one just dumps out into a parking lot and it's got 10 foot concrete walls all the way around. So you're yep. gathering that information. And that's part of what my practice is now when I go somewhere is to scope out possible alternative exits. And one really good way to do this, I learned this little cheat a long time ago. I don't even remember where, but find the little maps that they have for the fire escape routes. Oh, right. Yeah. Because they show on there the layout of the floors and where the stairs are and it shows where the fire extinguishers are. It shows where the exits are, where the elevators are. It's a perfect little blueprint of the building. So I always look for those too. If I go out to dinner or something, I I look for exits. I look for a fire extinguisher and I look for that little map because it's kind of a little cheat sheet to give you that kind of information. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty thorough discussion of how can you get acquainted with a new space when you go away And that, you know, for me, it's valid, not just for kids going to college, but also, you know, the ones that decide to go to take a gap year and maybe travel or go live in a different part of the world for a year. Same thing. You know, you got to do the same kind of exploration and the same kind of scoping out and intelligence gathering, really. Yeah. And that's the whole point of a gap year, right? (laughs) In my book anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The most common complaint that I hear from women when I talk to them about personal safety is that they often feel unsafe and they really resent the need to be constantly vigilant. They don't know how to deal with uncomfortable situations and they believe that they are too small or too weak to defend themselves physically if they have to. What they're really after is the freedom to walk around and to feel safe and to have more confidence in their ability to get away if something happens. That is why I created the Born to be a Badass Prep School, the self-protection course that teaches you everything that you should have been taught about how to be safe in the world when you were growing up, but probably weren't. The Prep School is an online program where you will change your mindset and learn how to make the most of your innate abilities to protect yourself. You'll learn what to look for and how to recognize potential dangers, what to do in bad situations, and how to manage fear. You'll discover how to tap into your body's natural protective skills if you have to fight, and how to deal with the aftermath of an incident. Not only is this a virtual program that you can do from anywhere at any time, you get lifetime access to the content, 
access to my private support group, and a gift certificate to use towards one of my live hands-on training events that builds upon the prep school curriculum. So if you're ready to take your personal safety into your own hands and to develop self-confidence and be able to go where you want to go and do what you want to do with a sense of freedom, get yourself over to my website, cynthiajoloker.com slash prep school to learn more and to register for an upcoming session. As a listener to the Born to Be a Badass podcast, you will save more than 60% on your enrollment by entering the code podcast when you register. Okay, well, let's shift gears and let's talk about the environment that puts young women at risk of assault. One of the great joys of going away from home and going to a brand new environment, especially when your parents aren't anywhere close, is you get to do those things that you didn't do when you were in high school or that you had to hide. And for a lot of kids, you know, it's jumping into that world of going out to parties and consuming substances, whether that's alcohol or other things. And young college age women are like three times as likely to be assaulted as other women. And going out to events like that and not being sober are things that contribute to those statistics, I think. What are your thoughts on ways that youngsters can avoid setting themselves up for potential harm when they go out to parties and things, uh, group gatherings? I think... You know, maybe it's just because I'm old, but it's like, you know, this has been talked to death, right? Like, you know, watch your drink, go with a buddy, alcohol will impair judgment. I mean, those are those things have been talked to death for for good reason. And but but I kind of want to take a little different spin on it, which is, you know, let's just assume that folks are who are in those situations. We all know that alcohol impairs our judgment and and, and it's just like, oh, it, it, it makes me hard to go from that part of the room to that part of the room. There are, and I think the Brock Turner case really highlighted this. You don't have to look like the the boogeyman that we talk about, you know, jumping out from behind the bushes. You know, he was a relatively clean cut, you know, looking young guy that, you know, any preppy girl would love to bring home to her family. You know, he just looked like a prep dude. And, you know, it's, you don't know what's in, you can't judge a book by its cover. You don't know what someone, what they harbor inside. And, you know, he was a guy, I don't know other parts of his past, but he was clearly an opportunist. You know, it's like, oh, there's, there's something I want and it's easy for me to quote unquote take right now. So let me just take advantage of that. And, you know, we need to remember, you know, kind of those three points that I touched on earlier with, you know, watching your drink, have a buddy and I skipped one. Watch what you watch how much you drink, have a buddy. And there was one more about the impairment. So it, it's not just all on you. And the, the reason we're ha- we this is an old conversation to keep those three points in mind is because there are opportunists out there. There are people, I think, I don't, again, I don't know the guy. I think he was probably just like an opportunist. Not that I, that sounds so diminishing of what he did. I don't mean that at all. But as opposed to someone who was out prowling looking for it. At the end, it doesn't matter because the result is the same. But that's why we keep having these conversations because, you know, this stuff happens. And, you know, for those of us, you know, for again, I've been in, I've put myself in some very precarious situations 
when I was that age. And it was like pure luck that kept me, kept me like from anything bad happening to me. And I just would hate for someone else to just rely on pure luck. Definitely been talked over, over and over, you know, watch your drink, buddy system and all that. But I think um, even if it's not say uh, a party with alcohol or any of that involved, if the opportunist, which is a great example, or even the, the person who's actually hunting for that particular person to be able to do bad things to, to exploit, they can use the uh, environment to be able to hone their exploiting skills. And so, you know, they just kind of figure out which, which person that they can go strike up a conversation and you know, how, how they'll tell how much information they can get from that person and just to kind of, if they're timid or if they're going to be one that's, you know, Hey, they're, they would like a boyfriend and I can play the part until I need what I want and I can take it. And so, yeah, there, I think the, um, the exploitation in many situations, not just in house parties or dorm parties and all that stuff, celebrations at ball games, I think the exploitation happens pretty much anywhere. If you're hanging out in the library and somebody's scoping you out and they come make conversation, you know, they're doing as much exploiting as anybody else. And, you know, doesn't have to have the alcohol included to, to set yourself up in a, in a bad position. So how to keep safe? It's just a um, good question. Just, I think self-confidence has a whole bunch to do with it. You know, knowing that that's, Gosh, you know, just because this really great looking guy is, is interested in you doesn't mean that you have to bow down to whatever you think they want for, in order for you to, to have a boyfriend. But just to, just to be able to be yourself, be comfortable in your skin and make them as many friends as you can, but just definitely keep your, your guard up and be aware. And those little tingly feelings of your intuition are sparking, then think about that. Yeah, that's great. I'm really glad that you went there, Lisa, because that was what was starting to bubble up in me was just there may be somebody that you share a class with or see in the dorm all the time or you know meet in the laundry room or the library, and they seem like a pretty cool person for the most part. No, no big warnings or red flags that are setting you off. But if at some point you start to get that little niggly doubt or, uh, you know, that's kind of weird or I don't, you know, it doesn't feel quite right. Just, you know, a little whisper of a warning sign. It's really important to listen to that. And I think that especially for young women, giving yourself permission to listen to that little jangle of the warning bell and just taking a moment and saying, wow, you know, I feel uncomfortable right now. What's going on mm -hmm. that's making me feel uncomfortable? And then giving yourself permission to take action based on that bad feeling is really easy to say, you know, for us as mature women who have done what we do for such a long period yes. of time. But for a youngster, it's really hard because even now in the 21st century, what I hear from young women is that they're uncomfortable drawing attention to themselves. They're uncomfortable challenging somebody. Mm -hmm. They're uncomfortable saying something to someone that might be construed as being rude or being offensive or being racist or being a bigot yes. or any of those things. And that there's still this 
overwhelming desire to be nice to people. And that is the kind of thing that can get you into trouble. Because if that little warning sign is going off and you override it because you want to be nice, you don't want to be seen as being that bitch or that girl who caused a commotion in the library where you're supposed to be quiet, you can actually be putting yourself in danger. And so for me, like the most important part of all of this is like if you get even the slightest hint of a bad feeling about a person or about a situation or even about a place, just listen to it and give yourself permission to do something to get to safety because maybe you might hurt somebody's feelings. Whoops, you're still safe. Maybe Mm -hmm. the surrounding people might think that you overreacted but you're safe. You know, yeah, that's, that's a really ignore it. You may not be safe and you may not be getting around to have any more conversations about how you could have handled it differently. The fear of, um, Oh, I'm overreacting. I really relate to that one. Like, uh, you know, both then and now, and that's something that gets better, but I totally like, yeah, we don't want to be hysterical shrieking female or whatever that stereotype is. Um, or at least that's, that's a, a thing, a button for me. Yeah. I, th- I think also going back to what Beverly said earlier, if they had bad intentions and you speak up or you, you know, somehow exposed this, you know, you're freaking me out here or whatever, you know, and, and cause a commotion. If the person is offended by that, then you know that they had bad intentions to begin with. And just like explained earlier, if they did not, they would, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean you know, to make you that uncomfortable, I wasn't aware. And so being able to get past that fear of speaking up and, and causing a scene or being rude gives you that information on you know, what truly was this person's intentions. Even if you're like alone with this person and walking through the campus and they creep you out. And so you mentioned something about, you know, you keep touching me when I ask you not to and they get pissed off. That definitely changes that little nudge of, oh, I'm not sure to a red flag that, you know, that's, there's, there's more to their intentions than just being a friend. But it is hard. It's hard to speak up. Yeah. You know, this is also reminding me of that really important section in Gavin DeBecker's book about the gift of fear, where he talks about survival signals. And those are really just the common manipulations that people who are up to no good try to use with potential victims or targets to get them to comply and to do what they want. And I'm not going to go into all of them right now, but I'll, I'll just tell you, remind you, I mean, you, you two know what they are, but I'll just, I'll remind our listeners what these are, because if you encounter some of these, it can be a good hint that the person that you're dealing with is not what you think they are. And the first one is the forced teaming And that one is really interesting to me because it's just creating a sense of us or a sense of we when there really isn't one yet. So that's kind of creating that sense of, well, we're all in the same boat or, gee, we're we're in the same kind of predicament here or we've got the same kind of goal or purpose. And that's a really hard one to rebuff because if you do kind of rebuff that, you come across as being rude. But it's really just an attempt to create a connection where there isn't one. Um, Another one is using charm or niceness. And uh, I love how Gavin DeBecker talks about that because he just basically says that charm is not a character trait. It's really a verb. 
and people who are trying to charm you are trying to control you by using allure or using attraction. And niceness doesn't equal goodness. They're really just trying to influence you. I think those are two that are very easy to fall prey to because we don't want to be rude. Yeah. And and I think, Cynthia, those really point to the reality of, you know, these types of things, these bad things that can happen generally happen by someone we already know. So it's like they can't get in there and work that, you know, bad guy magic or bad girl magic. And it does happen. Yes, there's that stranger at the park who will approach you and and, and do the, the, the Gavin DeBecker's concept of the interview. But at the same time, that's why it's so easy to fall for this nonsense. Because if you're a good person, it would never occur to you like, oh, I'm going to do this terrible thing to this person. So, you know, why would you think that of them? Right. Um, and so, and so you're, you, know, you give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Like we think there's some rule about that. It's like, we, we think that others think like we do, or we see the world as we do. And, you know, if, if I like this person, then they're a good person. And, you know, I, I don't want to frighten people and to not trust your judgment and that kind of thing. But it's, it's just a, a little bias that we get. And, you know, so what Cynthia is pointing to are like specific red flags, like look for these specific things. You know, if people aren't demonstrating those, those behaviors, you know, you can, you can like, you know, think that they're okay and you can have some fun with them, but it's like those specific behaviors. And then, and, um, you know, it's full on in, in DeBecker's book, he goes into it, but there's what uh, you said. Yeah, there's quite a few. There's, seeming, there's, there's quite a, a couple few, more yeah. that, that I, I find really interesting because they're all around the area of trying to create a connection with you. Yes. Um, yeah. Know, there's loan sharking, sharking, you know, yep. where, yeah, yeah where yeah. you, somebody does something for you as a way to make you feel like you owe them something. And then typecasting is one of my favorites because this is one, like you were saying, like it would never occur to like a normal person to do this. Typecasting is where they will label you in a way so that you try to prove them wrong. So like, oh, you're probably too snobby to talk to me, right? Or you're too well-bred to want to talk to a jerk like me. And I think those ones where they're trying to create that connection are really interesting because it's not necessarily trying to create a positive connection. It's just trying to get a connection. They're forcing a connection, right? Like a connection um, should be more organic, but someone has to use these tools. If, if, if you're like not feeling it, they're going to start using these tools to chip away at well, you. I th- and, and I think that they're really smart in being able to use them in a very natural way so you don't realize yes. that they're being oh, yeah. used. Very much, yeah. There are three that I think are super obvious, uh, like once you know about them. And you know, one of them... I think any parent will recognize, and that's when somebody's lying, they tend to use way too many details. The reason why is basically people who are telling the truth don't feel doubt. They're telling the truth, right? Exactly. And, and people who are lying feel like they need to convince you. So anytime you're, you feel like you're getting snowed under with all kinds of irrelevant details, that's a bit of a warning sign. The two others that I think are very relevant for kids heading off into college or traveling is the unsolicited promise. And that is just trying to convince you of an intention that you have that is actually the opposite of what it is. So, hey, just let me in, you know, to use the bathroom and I promise I'll leave right away. And when you hear that in your mind, what you need to do is translate that and say, he's not going to leave. So that unsolicited promise, when you haven't asked somebody for a promise and they make you one, then your warning bells should be ringing pretty loud. The last one that all has to do with boundary setting is discounting no. And people who 
don't respect and know. Definitely, like the first one, maybe they're just like hard of hearing or just not fully present and don't hear you. But if they discount the second one, then you know for sure they have an agenda going on that's not got anything good for you in store. And this is something that's really hard for a lot of women to do is to say no and really mean it. Quite yeah. often, you know, we'll say no the first time and then we'll we'll say it again, but maybe not as strongly. And then we'll allow it and then we'll say no to something else. But it's like this. I think of it sometimes as like the wave on the breaking on the shore where, you know, just little by little by little, it washes away. <laughs> and that's what this persistence, you know, from these people of discounting that no really yeah. accomplishes is it erodes that boundary. And, that's um, a great analogy. Yeah. Yes. I think that... The, the discounting the word no, you know, after the second or third time, then they start trying to negotiate yeah. beyond that no. That's where that, oh, you know, I guess I should just be nice type right. of mindset may come in, you know, because they're trying to negotiate you beyond you already said no, made the statement, and, and they, like you said, start breaking down. But there's another um, another one that's not listed in De Becker's book is uh, separate from your resources. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, hey, you're my whole world. Let's just you and I hang out together. Don't don't worry about your friends or don't worry about your parents. Let's just have us time all the time. So separating you from your resources seems, I think, definitely one, not one of the major ones. But if, you know, you're off to this new experience and somebody's taken an interest in you and you are his whole world, that's like, oh, you know, my knight in shining armor. And so you start okay, yeah, maybe I'll just, don't worry about my friends and they want me to go out, but I'm going to go with you instead. And and they start just kind of getting you into this little world of his, theirs, because it's not always, you know, their world, his or hers. That's when the red flags go off with the friends and they try to say, hey, you know, you're not spending much time with us. But yet, if you're stuck on, on that in that web, so to speak, it's hard to get out of, I mean, because of the, your emotional choices and because of their charming, you know, control over you. And you are their whole world, so you don't want to ruin their world. So it's, it's separating of resources. Can just, as we know, we come in small doses and pretty soon you're, you feel like you're all alone in this relationship that you have a hard time getting out of and yeah, I'm I'm really glad you brought that up because that was also a thought that was running along in the back of my mind was that for young women in particular who have gone away to a brand new environment to go to school where they don't know everybody, sometimes it's a perfect setup for a domestic or an intimate partner abuse situation. And and you referred to it as like the knight in shining armor. And of course, yes, it could also be a woman who is doing this, but setting, if somebody is cutting you off from your resources, setting themselves up as being the one on whom you need to depend, like the lifeline who's going to make everything work out for you. That is flattering to start with and long-term really bad for you. And we actually will probably do a roundtable discussion on domestic situations and intimate partner violence, but it's very hard to get out of once it starts And young women are easy prey when they've gone somewhere where they don't already know people and where there is no support system to say, hey, I haven't seen you in two weeks. You know, how come you're spending all your time with this person? So I'm really glad you brought that up because 
that's an easy one that can kind of sneak up on people without them really recognizing what's happening until it's way too late. So I have a question. Like, so if you see that happening to a girlfriend or a friend where they're getting kind of sucked into the sky, like we've, we've all been there. We're like, Oh, he's no good. Right. And then there's that. Well, if you say something, it just draws them together more. You know, I've handled it different ways, but you know, what are y'all's thoughts on that? And I've been on the other end where I, you know, I was with the bad boy and my friends were like, Oh my God. (laughs) You know, it's like, how can we be a good friend in that situation? I'd maybe keep reaching out, you know, texting and try to maintain those lines of communication no matter what. I, um, I've, fortunately, I haven't never had to deal with it. I have had my own cutting off from my resources from some, you know, with somebody that I was, I guess, infatuated or whatever with. But um, I still, for me, I still kept a couple of friends that were just those couple of friends you just always have to be with, you know. Right. So that was that was what helped me out a lot. Was you know they did point out stuff and they were patient and um, and you were open to hearing that because I feel like um, a lot of times folks aren't. Yeah, yeah. I was more open, even though I kept you know, no, it's not really that way. It's, it's gonna be okay type of stuff. Yeah, but I think if it would have been a situation where you know something truly dangerous would have happened to me or whatever, that they would have stepped up their game as well the respect that I had for them since we had gone through so much together those buddies in the foxhole type of, of friendships. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, but then again, that's how many young people have that. Yeah. Going off to college, these are all new people. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know that I could, you know, other than just hanging in there and letting them know you're there. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be the, self-defense instructor jerk and say, well, it all depends on the scenario. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think if it were me and I saw a friend or even an acquaintance who was exhibiting some signs that she might be in an uncomfortable place with the relationship, or if I had, in particular, if I had the bad feeling about the partner I would definitely be looking for ways that I could stay connected with her. And sometimes it doesn't work to be direct and say, hey, he's no good for you. He's trying to to get you all to himself. Because, you know, when you're in that that early period of a relationship, everything's all like starry-eyed and wonderful. And you you just won't hear it. Let him know. You need to talk. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... It's also maybe some young women aren't aware of what the signs are. And again, it's creating those mental blueprints and saying, well, this is this is how it can look. Just as we were talking about a few minutes ago, the survival signals that are really, this is how it can look if a predator is trying to manipulate you. Educating young women on yeah. this is how it can look when you're getting involved with somebody who's a controlling narcissistic asshole who really is going to end up putting you in a really bad place. Yeah. These are the warning signs, because honestly, in the work that I've done with women who are either still in domestic violence situations or have recently gotten out to a person, they all said that they had a bad feeling at the beginning Mm. and dismissed it. Yeah. Yeah. And the ones who basically had been in the relationship for a little while and then it took a major turn. So it was pretty okay. In fact, in some cases, it was really great for a while. And then he changed. 
they were really, really shocked by the change. And it was only in hindsight that they recognized the warning signs. The flags, and, yeah. And, you know, they all wished yeah. that they had known more about what to look for. And so in the support groups, they were learning about signs of narcissistic behavior, signs of gaslighting, signs that bit yeah. by bit by bit, your people and your access to money and your access to transportation and those kinds of things are being stripped away or, you know, moved further away and made less accessible. And I think that's really think, the only good antidote is to try to get that knowledge out to more people before they get into the situations. True. I think also um, we think of a bad feeling as, as, as feeling like, you know, bad, not comfortable. But sometimes bad feelings are not necessarily uncomfortable or, or agitating. It could be just something sets you off or, you know, yeah, kind of tweaking. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So they don't recognize it as something negative. Does that make sense? That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. It may not specifically feel like a threat right in that moment, but it just feels like not quite right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not that. Yeah. It's just something's off or uh, something, but they don't recognize it as a bad feeling or a warning. Yeah. Yeah. I think that feeling that something's just off is, is a really good way to capture it. Well, I hate to draw this conversation to a close, but we have been talking for more than an hour. What? That's amazing. (laughs) So much fun. I know. So, you know, I think I just would like to ask you for your your last thoughts or piece of advice for youngsters who are heading out away from home for the first time. And then we will wrap it up and say goodbye. You know, go out into the world and enjoy it. Um, And... Just pay attention, again, to your intuition and learn all that you can from the people that you get to meet. It's, it's, to me, it's always exciting to watch the kids go off and, and knowing all the experiences that they're going to have that they'll come back and share with me, in, you know, working at the high school. I would say be safe, and we all want you all to be safe, but it's, it's some of it is, you know, take a different route. Just start practicing nice, small awareness habits that will help in your safety. Mm, that's good. Thank you. Beverly? Yeah. It's, so to kind of circle back to my, my theme earlier of exploring and, you know, we talked about exploring the physical place and just having fun with that, um, but also explore, you know, new people, new ideas, that kind of thing. And, and as you're going and exploring, like, don't be afraid to be wrong. Don't be afraid to like, oh, if, if I get into this, it could be even a friendship and it's just not working for me. It's okay to back off. Um, so that's the whole point of exploring, right? It's, it's not a, a commitment to anything. It's, it's the opportunity to explore. And then as you're, you know, kind of having fun and enjoying that, you know, you're just opening up new worlds without making any kind of commitment to a, to a person or to a place, um, or to a friendship. Oh, those are great. Yeah. Thanks for that too. Yeah. I think my top tips would be to trust your instincts and intuition and really listen to them if you get that uncomfortable feeling. And, well, I'm going to put a shameless plug here for Take a Self-Defense course. And if you don't want to do one hands-on right now or you can't get the one because you've already gone to school, jump in and check out the Born to be a Badass Prep School because that one's online. That's my shameless plug. And uh, yeah, you know, just educate yourself, 
And I think the, the third piece is really look out for each other. Look out for your friends. Create a sense of shared responsibility with the people, the friends that you make when you're at school, because that will give you a little bit extra safety. And, you know, everything works better when we all work together. So when you make those new friends, just commit with each other that you're going to look out for each other and have each other's backs. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for joining me today. And Beverly, Lisa, this has been another great, great conversation. I love these. I'm so glad we got started and we're going to do more. So until the next ones, stay safe. Yeah, stay safe and be a badass. You've been listening to the Born to be a Badass podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and be sure to share it with your friends. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and a review. Tune in regularly for more exciting insights and wisdom on women, violence, and safety. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.